0: begin but with kind of this inflammatory question: uh, Does God want you to be rich? Um, you know, or, or maybe dial it down a little bit. Does He want you to be prosperous? Is that is that something that is part of His plan for you? And maybe while we think about that for a minute, let me just flip it on its ear. Is it possible that God actually is with the poor, and you should disavow yourself of all wealth because um, it's out of uh, out of identifying with the poor we actually have a, a stronger relationship with god um, now now i say those things and I'm poking at kind of theological ideas and conversations that over the last mm, well centuries have kind of emerged um, there are those who would, would preach a, a prosperity gospel they would say look you don't have because you don't ask you need to name it you need to claim it um, in order to experience the full of the blessing that god has for you. And, and maybe more common through the centuries past, uh, through monastic traditions and that kind of thing, but still present today, um, is, is actually the opposite that would say it's more spiritual, you will you be more connected to God if you would just get rid of stuff, simplify your life, um, give it all to the poor, and, and just that will become a spiritual focus. And we say, well, how are we supposed to understand biblical truth on this kind of thinking? We hear it around us. And... and and in particular, when we talk about the word blessing, we're, we're starting a series uh, called The Door to Blessing. Uh, I'll connect some dots for you here in just a minute. It's it, it's it's actually kind of intimately connected with a lot of things that we've been thinking about talking about as a church family over, over the last while. Um, last Sunday, I, I preached out of John chapter 15, um, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener, and you are the branch. And you can go back and check that sermon, yeah, it's not up yet, it's been away, but a week or so from now, maybe this week, you'll get up. Um, And and in that, he's talking about bearing much fruit. Um, There's a a concept of blessing that's present there. Um, Those of us who have been trying to memorize John chapter 14 encounter a similar thing, where Jesus talks about about blessing. We say, well, what is this word about? Over the course of the last year, we spent quite a bit of time in the book of Deuteronomy, and that's actually kind of what specifically brings us to this subject this morning. Um... This is a quick little anecdote, um, I was with a very revered mentor about three years ago and um, and was surprised when he said, this guy had preached you know, years and years of his life, uh, but I was surprised when he said, um, if I had it to do over again, when I would come to a church to preach, the first book of the Bible I would teach them would be the book of Deuteronomy. And he said, the second book that I would teach is the book of Ephesians. And I'm like, Deuteronomy? Are you kidding me? Why that? Um... And I was about to schedule, You already know, was planning to preach through the book of Ephesians, so I thought, well, I better find out what this is about. This is a man who I, I revere, he's a you know, great scholar, um, been a great pastor, and, and so we've spent some time in the book of the Deuteronomy over the course of the last year. And, and if you were to kind of put a big title over that book to say, well, what is that book um, mostly about? Um, we would have to say, well, that book is, is Moses pleading with the children of Israel to be faithful to the covenant that God made. That, that, that's really the, the big picture of that book. And, and so we talked about the fact that um, we are new covenant people. We are the, they were the first people of God. We are the new people of God. And so the point of going back and looking into that, that, that book is to, is to say, well, what did being the people of God mean for the first people of God? And what are we to learn from that as we are called to be the people of God? Ought there be some connection there? Of course, there has been. It's been rich. It's been challenging. I won't try to re-preach the book, but, um, man, we've gotten into some kind of nitty-gritty kinds of things of, you know, the the accusations that the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament. False accusation. Um, But when you read through the pages on the surface, you say, well, he seems to encourage genocide. And I'm not going to re-preach, the, 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 but you can go back. All that stuff saved online. If there's something there that say, what was that about? Go back and, and have a look. Um, so, so, let me just set some context. If you're following along in your sermon notes, I'm going to actually put it in there for you. Context. This has got to be one of the points um, The book of Deuteronomy is divided into three sermons that Moses preached to the children of Israel on the plains of Moab as they anticipated moving into the land of promise. Let's see the land of promise we're talking about. God had promised to their forefather Abraham, five, six hundred years before, um, that they he would bring them into a land, give them a place, give them a place to put down roots, and that through them he would bless all the peoples of the world. Abraham, son Isaac, his son Jacob. Jacob had twelve sons that became the patriarchs of the twelve tribes of, of Israel. Uh, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, that's where we get that name from. But they ended up in captivity in Egypt. And then the day came when Moses was raised up as a deliverer and God brought them out of Egypt. You can read about that. And, um, uh, Exodus has got kind of the majority of the story that goes on there. Um, Deuteronomy picks up a story 40 years later um, as a generation of people are to go into the land. But the first um, few chapters of Deuteronomy are, are basically Moses recounting the history. Um, reminding them that they were at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai after they came out of the land of Egypt. They uh, received the Ten Commandments from the Lord there and then were called to go into the land. But the sad reality was that the journey that should have taken them 11 days took them four years because of their disobedience to God. And so that generation of fighting men uh, died off in the wilderness and God delayed his plan and then would work through this new generation, the children, and they would be the ones who would go in and take possession of the land. This is the crowd that Moses is now preaching to. He's recounting the sad history, and recounting the good things God did to them in his, for them in his grace, even in the midst of them experiencing his judgment, and wandering for 40 years in a desert wasteland. Um, that's kind of the first sermon. But the second sermon is a long one. Um, it, maybe it was the, the conference that was hosted on the plains of Moab, it maybe lasted a couple of days. Um, as best I can figure, counting the number of words and that kind of thing, the second sermon is, is about four sermons as you and I would think about it. You know, kind of about that length, maybe five. So they're there for a long time and, and Moses had, he starts with the Ten Commandments. Now, God had given them the Ten Commandments a generation before. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 20. How Moses went up Mount Sinai, God gave the commandments, came down. Um, Moses picks up the story in Deuteronomy to say, this is what happened then, here are the ten commandments that were given. And as we've reviewed those ten commandments, we began to see that a couple of things. One is that much of this sermon, this long sermon, is an unpacking of each of those ten. How would you understand that? So we spent some time unpacking those. But then the other thing that we observed is there's a sense in which uh, the Ten Commandments is actually it's actually kind of a, 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 a charter of rights, as sorts. Uh, the first three of the commandments articulating God's rights, His right uh, to be accurately understood and accurately represented. Know the gods before me worship me exclusively. Um, uh, those, those commandments. The next seven, then, are human rights, how we interact with one another. And Israel was to guard um, these rights within her boundaries and then to represent them to the world at large. We get to the end of this kind of long-second sermon, and we pick up where we are today. Um, And it's kind of, in a sense, it's almost an introduction to what's going to be his final sermon, um, which is really the substance of this Door to Blessing series that I wanted to draw us into. Um, and, and, and it's in this place that Moses are, begins to articulate extraordinary blessings that was to be the experience of the first people of God it, and warn them that there, there, is, there, there are harsh, severe, dire consequences for them not attending to covenant faithless and not being to the covenant God had made. So, with that introduction, we um, uh, starting in Deuteronomy 11, because the passage we're looking at is actually anticipated back in Deuteronomy 11. We'll set up the context. I thought it might be the, the easiest way to kind of get you into this. Um, and then we will uh, we'll take a, a look at Deuteronomy 28. Why don't you stand with me, please? Um, and we'll attend to the word of the Lord in mean, the New International Version, um, and it'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses uh, 28, 26 to 33. This is the word of the Lord. Moses speaking, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. And the curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you, pardon me, you are to claim on Mount Gerizim the blessings. And on Mount Ebal, the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan, westward toward the setting sun, near the great trees of Mora, in the territory of those Canaanites living in the Arabah in the vicinity of Gilgal. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I am setting before you today. That was a commission that was given. Uh, you may be seated. We'll look at, a little further at that in just a second. Um, but let me, um, let me just kind of set up a couple of things here uh, uh, with my little map. Um, so the children of Israel were on the plains of Moab here, anticipating what crosses where the sermons took place, and then they were going to cross the Jordan, they came into the land. They would end up settling in, around Shechem here. that would become kind of a spiritual headquarters. Um, here's a blow-up of that area here. And so here's Shechem, there's a valley here, and uh, what, what Moses said in Deuteronomy 11 was that there were, the, division, the 12 tribes would be divided into two groups of six. The six that were settling the, on the north part of the land, uh, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, uh, Dan, and, and Naphtali, they were going to gather here on the, on the north side, and uh, from, uh, from Mount Ebal, they would, uh, one of the priests would pronounce the curse and after each statement, the people would shout out, Amen! Okay, so picture this. This is a very dramatic setting. You've got, I don't know, half a million people on each mountain um, gathered together to affirm a covenant relationship. I'll we'll explain that in just a minute. Half of them are on Mount Ebal. The other half are on Mount Gerizim. Uh, the tribes that were settled in the southern part of Israel. And they, they got the privilege of hearing the blessings announced. And in response, they would shout, Amen! Okay, so this huge crowd of people gathered. In the valley between here, uh, two things were going to happen. One was that a stone altar was to be constructed from uncut stones. The other was that the Ark of the Covenant, which they had been carrying through the wilderness for 40 years, that had the Ten Commandments tablets in it, um, had a couple other things in it that were um, uh, to remind them of God's presence with them. This was... uh, uh, Represented the very presence of God. It was there, and so with the situation that you have, it is the altar and the Ark of the Covenant are present, representing God hearing the the covenant ceremony that was being enacted. Now, what what is that? What's a covenant ceremony? The covenant, of course, marriage. You know, that's a marriage covenant. We think of these kind of things. It's a solemn promise, a solemn agreement that is entered into. Um, Five, six hundred years before this, God had entered into a covenant relationship with. Abram, he, he later renamed Abraham. Um, and, and that was a promise that he would give him land and a people and a, a nation, uh, that from him all peoples of the world would be blessed, and that uh, ultimately the rescuer would come through his family tree. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, are Israel's sons, Egypt, out of Egypt, now into the land. Now, they're they, out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. And there was a renewal of the covenant ceremony that took place with the people. Now they've been gathered hundreds of years later, renewing the covenant before God. Yes, we will. Did they? No, they did not. Um, And so this journey took them 40 years. Round two, chance to do it again. Here we have their children uh, gathered, uh, anticipating the time when they would gather in the land. This is Moses instructing them. When you get there, do this. Um, Joshua, Book of Joshua tells us about it happening. uh, when Joshua leads them in this practice. And, um, and, and so this is a renewing of their commitment to God. We are your people. We will walk with you, and we're accepting the consequences of this. There is an invitation into blessing, and there is a warning that to disobey was to actually was to face curses. Now, let me let me clarify that word for just a minute. Do I want to do that yet? Okay, she'll sure, do that now. Um, Yeah, I, can I put that thought on pause? I got ahead so. <laughs> of myself. Because I, I can make more sense, but in just a minute, and I have to cycle back around. So they're anticipating, he's anticipating them being in the land. Joshua took care of that when the day came. So we say, well, okay, what, is, uh, what are the blessings that we're talking about? What is it that's being described here? Um, and we'll go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. I won't make you stand again, but let me read part of it. I'm going to read the blessings. If we went on and read the curses, um, they're the opposite of the blessings is what they are. And, and quite frankly, they're really difficult to read. They're extremely difficult to read. Um, and that's the point. That's the point. And in fact, you know what? These blessings and curses... Hundreds and hundreds of years later, the curses would be visited on the nation of Israel exactly as it was described. When the northern ten tribes, not a single godly king, not one of them that was faithful to the covenant, finally God said enough, and the Assyrian army came and judged them, carried them off. And the, the what's described in the curses here, history tells us, yeah, that's what happened. And then a couple hundred years later, 150 years later, um, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came against the southern two tribes of Benjamin and Judah. Same deal. You know, occasional godly kings, but a general disposition toward godlessness, breaking the covenant with God, and God God brings judgment on them. Listen to the blessings, and then we'll come back to that sad topic as well. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth." Okay, here's the beginning of the pronouncement of blessings. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you and settle. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything that you put your hands to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, Then all the people of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season, and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail." If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you today and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. That's, you read that and say, yeah, I want that. Like That is the kind of thing that is very exciting to read. And we say, man, who wouldn't want that? And all I've got to do... Obey. Now, if you've had a toddler in your house anytime recently, you ever feel like a toddler? Sometimes in my walk before God, I feel like a toddler. Don't, oh, I do. Don't, oh, I do. Right? I mean, and, and, and the history of this gets is told time and again as we read through the pages of Scripture. Israel had been chosen by God, and they had a responsibility as his agent. And that responsibility was to choose. He wanted to bless us, but we want him to curse us. Which will it be? Now that's behind kind of what takes place, but what do those words mean? What does the word blessing mean? What does the word curse mean? Um, We use the word blessing all the time, do we not? Um, You you know, uh, someone brought a meal to my door when I was ill, and I would say that was such a blessing. You know, someone called at just the right time when I needed encouragement. I See, that was a blessing. Um, the, the friendships that we have, we say, i so grateful. They're such a blessing to me. My children, my, my wife, my family, they're a blessing to me. Woke up this morning to a, a spectacular sunrise. What a blessing it is to live in this part of the world. We use this language, right? We bless our food, right? Um, we were together as a family a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, Catherine's friend uh, was with us, uh, and so we decided we're going to test this guy out a little bit. Um, and why don't you ask the blessing for the meal? Well, um, uh, he grew up in a Jewish household, um, uh, came to faith in Christ um, as a, a, a young teenager, and, and so he started reading, <speaking> in Baruch Adonai al Henu B'pechah Halam Avos L'cham Min Ha'aretz. So that's kind of a God is good, God is great, blessing for the for your for your meal. But in Hebrew, um, it, so I, it, I, it was funny, funny at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, it, you know, it was great. It was great. It, it means we bless God. Sorry, it means blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. So we even bless God in some of our language that we use, where, where we become a blessing to him. What's behind these words? How is it we understand them? So, so, the first thing I think that's important to recognize is these words are pointing to a, a, a spiritual reality that is under the physical reality around us. Um, we live in a world where there are real spiritual forces, and through the pages of Scripture, uh, time and again, they are recounted. Um, there are angels and demons. There are things that are unseen. There, there are angelic beings who are God's messengers. Angelos in Greek literally means messenger. Uh, The angels are his messengers, those who do his bidding and work on his behalf, championing his purposes at his bidding. And there are demonic beings, fallen angels, who work against God's purposes, and and, and who do their level best to to frustrate uh, the purposes of God and the people of God. Now God's making something clear here that was not clear in the ancient world. In the ancient world, it was it was common, kind of a common, popular way that you viewed the world was that if something bad happened, there was there were demonic forces or evil deities that were behind that. You know, you know, in an animistic, pantheistic world that was kind of what you assumed when something bad happened. And God here is saying, actually, for uh, for my chosen people. The demonic realm is the least of your worries, because if you fall into covenant unfaithfulness with me, I will be working against you. So we begin to recognize that curse is referencing spiritual powers and forces working against. Blessing is referencing exclusively God working for. And So the choice is God for me, or God against me, I know which I would rather choose. Now the second thing that's kind of going on here, uh, Moses has spelled out for us, and it's in some really helpful detail, what the blessings are. Uh, as I mentioned, the curses, if you read it on in later chapter 28, it's just the inverse of the blessings. Um, but God wanted to bless Israel, and there's kind of three categories that you'll read in, in what we just read through there. there are, he wants to bless them personally, um, through the womb, um, a personal blessings. He wants to bless them them economically, and he wants to bless them um, nationally. Um, So we're talking about a general corporate advantage that was being given to the people of Israel. This is a corporate blessing. It's talking about the group. Talked a little bit about this last week, John 15, the the, the branches being a corporate metaphor into the vine, which is a corporate metaphor. We in our Western thinking tend to go immediately to an individual application, which isn't usually legitimate. We need to first think about the corporate application, which that's that's what's being talked about here. This is a general corporate advantage, and, and, and it didn't mean that if at any point in time uh, some something bad happened to an individual or to a family, that that was God's cursing them, or God working against them, um, that was life, that was living in a fallen world. But generally speaking, the nation was going to be healthier than the nations that were around them. Generally speaking, the nation was going to be more economically prosperous than the nations around them. Generally speaking, um, the, the nation would experience a, a national advantage. When they went on the field, battlefield militarily, if they were walking in covenant agreement with God, God was going to fight for them disproportionate to their size, and to their resources, and to their means, God would be with them. This would be a a statistically observable expectation, such that the nations around would look on at these chosen people, this covenant community, and say, what's up with that? What is it that is different about them? And they would have an opportunity to tell those people about their God. That's spelled out for us. We read it earlier, Deuteronomy 28, verse 9, where Moses said, The Lord will establish you as His holy people, as He promised you on oath, if you keep uh, the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to Him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. Now to fear them was to fear their God in that culture. So in fearing you, they would be recognizing The Most High God is the only God, and the one to whom we owe our allegiance. Now, we look at this today and we say, okay, well, does this apply to us? How is it that we are supposed to understand that? Now, I'm going to get my little whiteboard out here and see if I can do a little bit of a decent job in explaining something that's really quite fundamental to what I do every week when I'm trying to prepare to teach. let's get the language right, let's translate Hebrew, translate Greek, let's make sure we understand what the word means in its linguistic environment, put sentences together in proper structure, and in its historical context, in order that we would understand the original meaning. What did these words mean to the first people who heard those words? How do we Understand our situation compared to theirs in order that we would come to contemporary meaning. What does this mean for us? And once we've established that, then we can come up here and say, well, here is what uh, this word means today. Contemporary word for us. I, I, I point that out. Because I think especially, you know, it's in some of the passages we talk about here, but this happens all the time, um, you and I we kind of read through a page of scripture and say, well, this happened there, therefore it means that now. Which almost always, this gets us in trouble, when we don't do this harder work, um, this becomes illegitimate. Um, we want. We have to do this. This hard work. Understand its context. Understand what it meant to its first hearers. Understand how their context relates to our context, in order that we would rightly understand the word for us today. So that's something kind of called hermeneutic process. Um, for the first people of God, um, we read the words around the plains of Moab, preparing to go into the land. The meaning was uh, they were to be representing God as His people. They would do so because they had been put into covenant relationship, i talked about this already. And and, and through this covenant relationship, God would bring the rescue for all of humanity. And so we say, well, we are not ancient Hebrews. Um, We are not on the shores of the Jordan River about to cross over into modern day Israel. Um, We are not the first covenant people of God. uh, through whom he was going to bring the Messiah. So there's a lot of points of discontinuity, of disconnection. Um, and uh, we also know, and this is the most significant thing, uh, is that Christ has come, and, 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 and that's a major divide. We do we know about the coming of Jesus. Well, we know we know many things about the coming of Jesus, but we know that he came in fulfillment of the first covenant. Uh, we talked about this last week, in John chapter 15. Um, uh, the first people of God... Ancient Israel that uh, is in the vineyard that God looked to for fruitfulness I failed in that example. multiple times. When that metaphor is used, God says, "I came and there was no fruitfulness there. He's disappointed that there's no justice, there's no righteousness. Uh, these things were missing, and, and they were culpable for that." Christ, as the true line, came and completely, perfectly fulfilled that. He took Israel's place, uh, and we now are connected into what was the new covenant last week, communion, the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, so the old covenant, first covenant people of God are invited into the new covenant with us, but they must do so through the work of Christ. Paul talks about that a lot in the book of Galatians, the book of uh, Romans. Um, uh, that's the only way can get into the new covenant uh, re- relationship with God. And if we were to look at, at some teaching on this, some passages of scripture, that would help us understand this a little bit better, we would begin to recognize this is an extraordinarily generous grace that God invites us to. Um, The apostle Paul, in his letter to the churches in the Roman province of Galatia, he writes, Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, He, referring to Jesus, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That sounds good. Through Christ Jesus. So that, by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I don't have time to unpack this passage thoroughly. That promise of the Spirit is a is huge deal-breaker. That the Holy Spirit would come and indwell the new covenant people of God, enabling, enabling obedience, enabling responsiveness to the work that God wants us to do. But look what Paul says just the verse before. Verse 13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. We say, now hang on a minute here. Christ redeemed us from the curse. He redeemed us, verse 14, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us, the Gentiles. And so we say, wait a minute here. It means that the blessing God intended to give his children has come through Christ. He has perfectly fulfilled the covenant, you know, the first covenant, in order that he could create a new covenant in his blood. What happened to the curse? The curse came on Christ. Yes. So the blessing comes to us, and none of the curses.
1: We've been freed from
0: the the, the the fear of the curses. We've been freed from the, the, the constant concern that, that I might misstep, that God might be out to get me. That is not the gospel. The gospel invites us to live the blessed life, to live as the children of God in the land, doing what? Representing Him to the world, uh, speaking His truth to the world in which we live, loving one another in an exemplary <laughs> way, uh, evidencing the fruit that we talked about last week, uh, of uh, the fruit of justice, of, of righteousness being lived out in us because Christ is perfectly created and made it possible for us fruit of joy, the fruit of love. You can go to Galatians and look at the list in Galatians chapter 5 that is there. You don't need to be preached last week's sermon either. This is what Paul writes in his letter to Corinth, chapter 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we're talking about extraordinary blessing. That we have been drawn into Christ and into the blessings that have been that have been laid out, that He anticipates pouring out upon those who trust Him and follow Him. If we go four chapters earlier, 2 Corinthians 1:20, Paul writes, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the Amen is spoken. In other words, the may it be so is spoken by us. Why? To the glory of God. Why has he done this? Same reason he was involved in that first covenant. one wanted the nations to see him, his loving compassion, his gracious, gracious goodness, that they would respond. Through, the, through Christ, he utterly demonstrated that. And now we, as new covenant people, we get to, to, to receive the blessing of this and represent that to the world and say, who doesn't want this? Who doesn't want to live in right Relationship with God. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter two, verse four, he says God's kindness leads you toward repentance, and we're really inclined to say, "Yeah, of course." But think about this for a minute. This is what Paul's saying here. He's saying this is is no small thing that before you ever turned to Jesus, um, He was looking at you in the pit of your knees, in the, like the the the, the, the wa- swa- the, the, the wallowing of your needs, the squalor of your needs. And, and he looked, and some of, you, some of you know exactly what I mean, because when Christ found you, you were in such a, such a place of, of brokenness, you were feeling the weight, you were feeling the weight of your own sin, maybe it was the consequences of what you lived, you were feeling the weight of maybe it was emotional brokenness, or maybe it was physical brokenness it was the weight of economic brokenness. You were living in a world that was just not making sense, not working out. Uh, and he let you feel the weight of that, that you would understand what it is you needed to be rescued from. The, the hopelessness of life. The, the listening to a news report and, and, and having a panic attack. Uh, because, because what am I going to do? How can I ever live in a world that's falling apart like this? In his kindness, he led you to repentance. In his kindness, he let you feel the weight of that in order that you would ultimately come to the place where you would say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinful person. I participate in the brokenness of this world. I not only see it out there, I feel it in here. And I desperately need you. Will you forgive me? I'm confessing my sin. I acknowledge to you that my brokenness has led me away from you. And would you lead me in paths of righteousness? Would you lead me to walk as your child? Part of the branch connected to the vine. Part of the covenant community that says, come and fill me with your spirit that I would walk in obedience to you because I long that you would be seen in and through my life. And Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He longs to bear fruitfulness from your life. Next Sunday, we're going we're to examine the good life. What is that that's, that's being described? You know, Moses is not done with this yet. He's going to kind of begin this next sermon, the third sermon, and talk about what these blessings will look like for covenant people who walk in covenant faithfulness. Let's make sure that we, that we get it right because... In our world, there are prosperity teachers who would say, look, what that means is you should have a Rolls Royce in your driveway and a second house in Malibu. That's that's what it should be. And would say, really? Okay. You know, and then there are those who would say, no, 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 you need to disavow all wealth and live in abject poverty because those are the truly spiritual people whom God needs. Well, we're going to hear Moses, hear what he has to say. We're going to allow the New Testament to, to shine its light of truth into these pages. We're going to go through this process here and try to make sure that we're understanding Scripture and applying it rightly so we understand what the word of the Lord to us is today. This is going to require some digging together. So I'm going to kind of pause on subject here, but with three concluding thoughts. The first would be, fundamental to all of this has been a call to obey God been a call to walk in obedience to God. That was Moses' great heart and concern the first covenant people of God. That they would walk in obedience to him, um, live in covenant faithfulness. As he is faithful, you too be faithful. Now in case we think that's just an old covenant, first covenant kind of language, Jesus used the very same kind of language in John chapter 15 when he talks about the vine and the branches, and he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in My love, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. And so the invitation is to be those who out of love given to us, love generously in response. We love generously him and his people, who love generously in response, not out of obedience, not out of obligation, but out of of a a knee-jerk reaction so natural for us. To love, it becomes second nature to us as the new covenant people of God. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul speaking to the new covenant people. He says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And in this posture of covenant relationship, we have so much to anticipate. This is the blessed life of us. If you have come to understand who Jesus is, to walk with the Father, uh, through Him. Uh, you uh, are, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who is enabling you to walk in covenant obedience. Christ has completely fulfilled it, and now we get to walk into it. Not under obligation, but under privilege. Obey God. Second, kind of concluding thought is this um, live as worship. Live as worship. Now here's what I mean by that: live in such a way that you are a walking, talking, thinking, breathing, eating, playing, loving, giving, embracing worshipper. Like like your your life, like everything you do is just worship. It's it's me. Living in the presence of God, living out of who I am now as part of the covenant community, as part of the new covenant people of God, as part of the branch that's attached to the vine. You say, "Well, come on! I've got a job to do. I've got you know family to care for. How am I supposed to ever do this?" Here's it's just it's it's simple and it's hard. Okay, I'm not trying to oversimplify, but but it's it's on one hand, it's it's living with an expectancy toward God. God is my provider. He is an I, I, I want to live expectant but not demanding. Confident but not entitled. Expectant but not demanding. Confident but not entitled. And then on the other hand, I want to live in humility. I want to live as one who... I have that attitude of gratitude. We're going to cultivate this, right? This this isn't automatic. It's not natural. But by the Holy Spirit's presence, I'm going to live with an attitude of gratitude, grateful for everything I have, and expectant that all that I need, what's required for this day, what's required for this week, is coming. And and humility and expectancy come together and and, and begin to live in in a manner which is the life lived as worship. My life lived out as a worshiper. Expectant. Grateful living each day for him. Now let me just, one third concluding thought. Um, and that's because I don't want to leave this without, uh, we're going to have to talk about this further in the next couple of weeks. Guard your heart against a very common um, mistake. A very, very common error that that, that that can follow out of just reading these, these passages. And that is this. Guard against a give to get who thinking. A give to get. I'm just going to obey because then I'm going to get, I'm going to give, and and Moses and Jesus would both agree in saying, give out of love, respond out of love, obey out of love, let this be, God's not a spiritual ATM, Um, he is inviting you to walk financially, to walk emotionally, to walk spiritually. Um, in such a relationship that that would, in humility and in expectancy, um, would would lead to this this loving, ongoing relationship where I love because I was first loved. I I give because so much has been given to me. I respond because he has been utterly responsive to me. And this becomes the posture of my life. And so I will work hard, trust, and, and I will walk in covenant faithfully. Not on my own merit, but on the merit of Christ. Because he has walked in covenant of faithfulness. And I now get to walk in faithfulness through him.